you know, as ADHD is, we are motivated by an interest-based nervous system. We tend to want to do things that are interesting, you know, challenging, novel, urgent, and that that we are passionate about. So if we can look at the internal world, you know, of what the child is really good at and just harness that and, you know, their future is potentially limitless. Hello and welcome to the Women and ADHD podcast. I'm your host, Katie Weber. The following is a review on the Apple podcast platform in the UK from a listener called Nerd on the Run 16. It's entitled, I Feel So Empowered. I was diagnosed with ADHD around six months ago and have only just discovered this beautiful podcast. My diagnosis journey involved a lot of self-advocacy and very little external support, so I have struggled to find spaces where I can comfortably express the quirks of living with ADHD. However, this podcast has provided me with exactly that space. The conversations between Katie and her guests are so cathartic, and I have found myself reconnecting with the parts of me that I had lost from years of masking. Thank you, Katie. I am so glad to hear this nerd on the run. Thank you so much for the review and for sharing how much this podcast has impacted you. It really truly brings me so much joy to know others are sharing in this experience of catharsis and empowerment. As you mentioned, both of those words are such great descriptions of this diagnosis journey. And here is the part where I ask the rest of you to please leave a review if you've been listening to this podcast and you've found it helpful. When you leave a review, either on the Apple Podcast app or on Amazon or Audible, they help so much in getting this podcast noticed by other women who have been diagnosed or even think they might have ADHD and they're trying to gain more understanding of what this neurodivergence looks like in adult women. I encourage you to pause the episode right now. We will wait for you and go give a quick review or even just hit those five stars. It helps tremendously. Okay, here we are at episode 65 in which I interviewed Dr. Sam Hugh. Dr. Hugh is the director of ADHD Girls in the UK, and she has an extensive background in communications and cancer research. Raised in Malaysia, she won the Malaysian Prime Minister's Scholarship to study her postgraduate degree in the UK, where she now resides. Having worked in 16 different business sectors over the years, she spent the last decade as a communications consultant helping doctors, scientists, and data experts convey the value of their research to a wider audience through written and video media. She was diagnosed with ADHD earlier this year at the age of 40, and she's currently pursuing an ASD diagnosis. Her diagnosis, as well as her daughter's diagnosis, led her to develop ADHD Girls, where she now operates as a vocal advocate and mentor for girls and women with ADHD, helping them understand their brains and learn to thrive in education and workplace systems. We talk all about her experiences navigating academia, both in Malaysia and in the UK, and we also talk a lot about motherhood in general and how she's now able to advocate for her daughter within the school system. Dr. Hugh is a fantastic resource and a real champion for women and girls, and I was so pleased to get the chance to find out more about her personal journey. Okay, enjoy. So I'm curious about the um, the genesis of ADHD girls, but first I want to hear your story um, in terms of like when you were 40 when you were diagnosed, correct? Yeah, actually this year I'm 40. I was diagnosed uh well, I suppose after the whole pandemic mm-hmm. and, you know, because of the waiting times, it took a bit more time. But yeah, 40, married, have, having jumped several careers and here I am. They uh, combine ADHD. 
Yeah. Yeah. Same. I also call myself a pandemic diagnosis. <laughs> um, so what exactly was happening in your life? What were some of the signs that made you kind of put two and two together and really start to seek out this diagnosis for yourself? Well, to be honest, there's been so many times where, you know, like my life just didn't work for me and I just didn't have the knowledge, right, about ADHD. But I think it was definitely the pandemic that caused so many women to come forward, you know, diagnosed later in life. And I began to hear more and more media coverage. And um, it was actually a PR guru I followed who said, oh, she has ADHD. But it took her some time to come out and say that because she was worried how her clients would perceive her strength and it might affect her business. And so I was thinking, oh, yeah, the back of my head is always, you know, that's probably me, but not actually really believing that I have a condition. Just because, as you know, with ADHD, we've heard the most extremes of cases, right? We've heard of the people who have manic depression, uh, to have man- manic depression and ADHD and end up like com- committing suicide. So that that's my exposure to it. So for me, like I never got to as close as that, you know, wanting to end things. But there has been so many times where I just felt like I can't go on. But then the next day or the or the week after or the month after, I get up again and I can do it. But yeah, over the course of the pandemic, you know, things were very tough in the family home. And I had a new baby who was three months when COVID struck. Oh so my, my, yeah, so my husband had to go away. Um, well, he had a bereavement in the family, which was very tough for him. So he obviously needed a lot of support and understanding but on my part I was just like want to support you and I did support him whilst he was away I was keeping the house down but I found it so hard I was on constant flight or fight and my baby who I was breastfeeding at the time was pooping non-stop (laughs) and I was thinking what's going on are you getting the stress response so he was clearly getting the stress response from me you know, which was so bizarre because as soon as my husband came back, he stopped doing that, you know, (laughs) explosive poop. Um, Anyway, yeah, so um, that that made me think, right, that isn't right. And also my husband in some ways might have resented me for not being more supportive because whilst he's dealing with a bereavement, I'm telling him, can you please come back and help? (laughs) You know, it's so, so simple you know, managing a household, right? Having two children, any other woman can do it, right? You look out, you know, so many women like run the house whilst their husband are away on business trips. But for me, I couldn't even look after them for 10 days without, you know, killing over. So that, yeah, sort of started the doubt in my head that maybe I'm not like other women. And so, yeah, with more and more discussions, it became clear that, yep, you know, and and you look back in your life and it just kind of, you know, like matches and it makes sense. So that's when I actually went and seek a diagnosis. Mm, Yeah. Oh, my goodness. You brought back so many memories of having a three month old (laughs) and (laughs) and just that guilt, right, of saying, like, not only am I feeling anxious, but I'm passing it on to my child through my breast milk. So you've got that extra guilt of like, I'm already, you know, affecting my child in this way that I can't control. I always feel like when I talk to women with young children, I want to give them a hug because it Mm. was like, I think, you know, in general, I think we are wonderful mothers. Um, I think ADHD has helped me in a lot of ways as a mother. My kids are older now, they're 14 and 10. And, um, but I just, I think back to those early years of just 
you know, just feeling so overwhelmed and not realizing that there was the sleep component and the noise component and all of that sensory issues and, and really feeling like, yeah, like how I needed my husband's support so much. And I remember when my daughter was, she was about not quite a year and a half. I think she was like 14 months and his father died. And that was really a big struggle for us because he was such a support and, he went into, you know, a really, really deep grief. And I, I lost it too. And I felt terrible. Like you said, like, I was like, I want to be the support for you that you have been for me. And I can't do that because I'm really, really struggling. And that was, I think that was the point where I finally went to the doctor and said, I need help. But it wasn't for ADHD. I didn't know at the time that was, you know, 14 years ago, but (laughs) uh, it was the first time I went on, you know, I was, I was diagnosed with postpartum depression. Oh. And I, and I was diagnosed with both my kids with postpartum depression and anxiety. Uh, and now again, with the diagnosis realizing like, oh no, there was so much more going on there. Uh, such a hard time. Yeah. I, I think like there's so many parallels with our stories, you know, and also we're, we're not unique in this situation. You know, there are so many more women who aren't, aren't able to juggle, but society makes them think that they should. And it shouldn't be the way, you know, like, do men have these worries? You know, I think part of the reason for late diagnosis is socialization. You know, what we are taught to be able to do as women or or girls, you know, to sit quietly at the corner and don't, like, you know, hit your brother. (laughs) You know, that that, 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 that sort of thing that will actually contribute to you thinking, okay, well, I should be a better person. And what's wrong with me? Am I not a good person? Yeah, I remember my uh, husband's aunt asking me how the baby was doing when my daughter was like a year old or so. And I looked at her and I was like, it's really hard. <laughs> and and she said, I don't remember. I don't remember babies being hard. And I had that, you know, that visceral moment of like, oh, I am. I am clearly failing at this when other people aren't. Um, and And having that like secret shame of like, oh, God, like not everybody finds this as hard as I do. Mm-hmm. Um, so now were, was it, was it like, uh, you know, I, I know a lot of people came to their diagnosis kind of from memes or TikTok videos or <laughs> how, again, we're like, where, where did you start to put those pieces together that this could be a neurodivergence? Um, well, um, actually, like I said, it was when I saw, um, the article that the PR guru that I followed, oh, right. Uh, laid out and she had bullet points on her symptoms and like it's just so funny you know some of the things like you know embarrassingly just going through multiple boyfriends at a time (laughs) (laughs) I have that yeah was a serious uh, was it a serial monogamous Mm -hmm. I was just going from one relationship to another to another to another to another and sometimes overlapping them. So yes, some things like that. And yes, yeah, just having difficulty at university uh, for finishing my PhD was a real struggle. So um, there were just so many times. And I remember feeling low level a depression that lingered between each job transition and the jobs which I quit because I was either bored or just didn't want to do it anymore out of burnout. You know, and it just didn't make sense to me. And I, I struggled to, for a long time, to put together all the great things I have inside my brain, you know, mm-hmm. on paper and persevere, you know, through a job like most people do, climbing corporate ladders. So that's, um, yeah, 
that's that, 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 that's my story. Yeah, that was a big one for me too. I think when I, when I realized that uh, spontaneous travel was one, was a part of ADHD and I was like, oh, I do, I have a tendency to drop everything and just hop on a plane. At least I used to in my twenties. Um, and, um, and also, you know, not being able to keep a job for longer than two years. I was like, oh yeah, I definitely, that's definitely me. I think it was part boredom, but also sort of like, I would get really bristly under authority, you know, like I would have a manager that I felt was incompetent or, you know, I, you know, I just always felt like I could do a better job (laughs) and then I would have to move on. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, I'm, you did complete a PhD, which is an amazing, so, you know, um, and, and I'm, so I'm curious, you know, looking back through your childhood at your, you know, education or, you know, what do you look back at and think, holy crap, the signs were there all along? Well, actually, uh, it's sort of all started because very early on in life, I was a very quiet child. And I think you find a lot of girls with ADHD tend to be quite withdrawn, you know, Mm-hmm. I think it started for for me, it started because I keep, I keep missing instructions. So the teachers would be saying, you know, do this. And then I wouldn't hear it. And then I would ask my friends to interpret it back to me, even though we, we all spoke the same language. Um, and then when I was 15, I remember I had like a lot of duties in school. I was a prefect. And then also I had like several co-curricular activities, uh, clubs where I was holding post. And so... Like I was uh, doing quite well academically to begin with because I had a real interest in science. But over time, when I had all these academic um, and extracurricular uh, activities sort of collide, um, my grades started slipping really badly and I just lost interest in them because I was more interested in socializing and meeting boys and you know just, just having fun because I was 15. And then I would fall asleep at the, at the back of the class uh, without knowing why. So I had a history book open right in front of me and I'll just sleep <laughs> behind it. And I thought that the teachers won't know because I was way at the back and it was a class of 40. And it looked really bad because I was a school prefect. <laughs> and then I fell asleep at the back of the class. And I always look really tired. Um, then I think the reason for that is because I stay up really late the night before. And so if anyone had told me then that I had ADHD, you know, that would probably have changed my whole entire life, but it, no one did. No one knew about it. You know, I was just known as um, probably inconsistent and, you know, just my, my grades started slipping. So that went on until I was just too embarrassed to keep like nearly failing exams because I was hanging around really smart kids. So in some ways that sort of helped me. That was my accountability. Um, and then I started doing better because I wanted to prove to myself that I was good at something you know and um so I had a real interest in biology I had a teacher who really believed in me uh which helped so much you know and before long I was known as a biology queen in my class um I wanted to cure cancer I you know was totally obsessed with learning everything there is about cancer research and apart from ADHD I also have undiagnosed autism um and uh one of the traits of autistic people is they tend to collect you know things of of certain categories and so for me I was really geeky and I remember just cutting newspaper articles about the latest medical breakthrough you know whilst whilst my friends are going out and having fun so yeah so I I had the real interest in science and I believed in myself enough and made other people believe in me and also 
people were also so confused why I was so obsessed with cancer, you know. So yeah, that 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 was funny. But then I just saw it as almost a way out of my own brain. If I could actually get this qualification and you know live a new life and I move to a new country, you know, then like you know that that just felt like a more adventurous life rather than what I had in you know li- living in KL. And so that's what happened. I managed to get a scholarship to come to England um, to do my master's and then my PhD, which I did struggle quite a lot because I think if you read um, about women with ADHD and girls with ADHD, the period of time when ADHD symptoms manifest more is transition. And I left my country to move like like 12 hour time zone later to the UK with nobody that I know in the whole country. And I had to make new friends, you know, find my own way and deal with cultural shock. (laughs) Um, So that was the recipe for a disaster, (laughs) which actually did happen. I think those were my train wreck years. Um, People tend to say, oh, I thought everyone went crazy in their twenties anyway, but not really. You know, some people did actually knew what they were doing. And and so for me, I had a train train wreck a few years and had a lot of problems with relationships. And I was finding it very difficult to stay motivated doing my PhD once I got this scholarship. And because, uh, yeah, it's it's a long time to try and stay the course. And that, that was hard. Um yeah, and, and I struggled right until the end, even though I did really well in my PhD, I lost a lot of my confidence because basically also, I think with ADHD, there are things that you do that you don't know you're doing and you make mistakes, right? Um, and with experiments and scientific experiments, you kind of need to have a very good system going. And if you make mistakes all the time and people are telling you you make the mistakes, um, then you start to lose confidence in yourself because you think maybe I just don't have the organization, you know, to be a good scientist. And so that was really ironic because I did my PhD Viva and both my examiners really liked me and they both offered me either a job or a reference. And then after that, I got a job offer um, to interview at Harvard Medical School but at that point, I didn't believe in myself anymore. And um, <laughs> the reason I told, you know, the professor who I, I was emailing, and I said, well, my current supervisor doesn't really think I'm good enough, you know, to do science. And he said to me, if I had believed everything that my teachers told me, then I wouldn't be where I am today. But even that wasn't enough to make me want to, you know, continue doing science. And so from then on, yeah, there was a lot of exploration in terms of career, a lot of pivoting every few years. Interesting. Yeah, I I often wonder if I had had a diagnosis earlier in my life, how things would be different. And, you know, because I talk about this with my husband, too, with my children, right? You know, uh, he's concerned about getting them tested and diagnosed, and he always worries about the stigma, right, and the treatment. 
And I always say like, if I had known how different my life would be, but I also wonder like, how would I have limited myself? Because I think part of an undi part of my experience with undiagnosed ADHD was that grit, you know, that picking myself up at the 11th hour, picking myself up by the bootstraps and getting the thing done just to prove to myself that I could do it. And I feel like that's how I accomplished any, you know, very, I, there were a lot of things that I was a train wreck at as well, but I sort of anything I accomplished, it felt like it took an enormous amount of that grit. And I, I appreciate that. So I often wonder like, how, you know, are, would a diagnosis have been limiting? I don't think it, I don't think at the end of the day that it would have been, but I don't, again, I don't know, you know, would I have gone for things um, or would I have just said it No, I don't think that's, you know, like motherhood, like I talk about motherhood, like it was so difficult because it really was. But I also feel like I don't want to say it was too hard. Like, I don't want to discourage younger women with ADHD from being mothers, because I think it's a it's a wonderful, amazing, incredible experience. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you, actually. just um, I, I hear so many women now who were diagnosed with ADHD and they fear becoming a mother. And, you know, like I feel a tremendous difference after starting my medication. Like my, my, my mood is better and I'm more patient with my children. You know, and imagine like this is what other women, you know, have and then they have the patience and because their brain allows them to be that way, right? And like you say, most of us with ADHD are really good mothers. We're very loving, very nurturing. In fact, from the outside, we might look like we're made to be mothers, you know, but it's the internal world, you know, it's when things get overwhelming that you might lose your SHIT with your kids and you don't mean to do it, right? And like getting the right help that you need, you know, might help facilitate, um, you know, what you need to do as a mother and, and juggle, you know, like I guess other women do. Absolutely. I think since my diagnosis, I've become not only a better mother, but a better partner as well, because I sort of feel like, yeah, I can, I can acknowledge my strengths. Whereas I felt like I couldn't do that before. My default was always, oh, I'm such a terrible person because I'm, th I've thrown into a rage and I don't know why. Whereas now I can kind of sit there and be like, okay, well, what's happening? Was there too much, was there music and a television on in the background? And was this, there were too many people talking, you know, like I can kind of, examine the environment and sort of figure out, okay, what were my triggers right now? And, um, and then work through that in like a more, in a more rational way, as opposed to kind of falling to the floor in the fetal position, which used to be my default. Oh. And, and so like, well, not literally, but I just mean like, and same with my, my husband, right? I mean, I feel like I put so much value in what he brought to the relationship and I never really thought about what I brought to the relationship. And, and I remember asking him, for years, you know, like, what do you, I know what I see in you, but I don't know what you see in me. And he would always give me these like really unsatisfactory answers. Like, I don't know, you smell good or like, you know, like <laughs> or I'd be like, uh, thanks. but then now I realize like we've been together for 20 years and I realize like how annoying it must be to have the person who you love most in your life have such low self-regard, right? Like it must be really frustrating to have to have heard that over and over and over again. And so now I'm like, oh, I see what I bring to the table now. I bring like the energy and the spontaneity and the idea, you know, all of these things that I'm able to value now that I don't think I was yeah. because I never yeah. took the time to recognize it. Yeah, yeah. I, I do find that most people get into relationships with people who they think have something that they lack so like like you say, you bring the energy and the spontaneity. You might be with someone who, you know, just 
kind of like to be like a home buddy and you know just don't want to just disturb the status quo whereas you know you might be more um like bold and you know you, you might be more um outgoing and you're able to ask for things when maybe he would prefer to shrink in the background it's just just my guess you know but oh I'm, absolutely I'm, right yeah, <laughs> yeah uh, if it wasn't for me we would never get takeaway because i'm the only one who calls people <laughs> Like that's my my job is to call the restaurant. That's right. <laughs> Any other parents out there who have struggled to instill good financial habits into their kids? I know I have. And that's why I'm so excited to tell you about the sponsor of today's episode, Go Henry by Acorns, the smart debit card and app for kids 6 through 18. With Go Henry, kids can learn about money, set spending and saving goals, and even track chores and earn allowance money right within the app. They learn the value of money by using their Go Henry debit cards, while we as parents can set spend limits and help guide their journey while staying informed every step of the way. It gives me so much peace of mind to know that I'm using a smart tool to proactively teach my kids about money and prepare them for future success. Set your kids up for success and get started today at gohenry.com slash women ADHD. Again, that's gohenry.com slash women ADHD. TNCs apply, renews from $4.99 per month unless canceled. Um, so I'm curious when you had your diagnosis, what was your family's response? Because you have a child who you're seeking a diagnosis too, right? So Oh, so. I had a child. I have two children, one who I've actually got a diagnosis for and one who is only two, but is mm. showing all signs of ADHD. <laughs> and my husband is terrified. <laughs> He's shaking his head. Well, um, yeah, that it, that, that in itself, the acceptance of family members uh, was a journey. So it you know, as you know, when you pursue a diagnosis, you would be, you know, fully like obsessed about learning about everything there is about ADHD, right? And also how your brain works. So that that's where I was. But my husband didn't really know anything about it. And he started reading things like, you know, how this ADHD is, you know, like in, in, in relationships. So he's trying to find the reason for my behavior. Say we've had an argument is like, you know, do people in, with, with ADHD end up staying in a marriage? No, not not really. You know, a lot of us are not going to work. <laughs> so, so that those are the things that he would be googling. But he won't be googling why is it that they act this way? What is causing this issue? You know, but yeah, like you know, like most people only want to know what interests them. And so, um, it took me a long time to make him see, uh, you know, the good side of our ADHD and also what we can do to manage it. And he only really paid attention when he sees it in our daughter, you know, because that's when he's actually actively involved and that's when he has to be the patient one and he doesn't have to, yeah, um, just give in. So, yeah, he, yeah, there was definitely a period where it was difficult and I felt like not, not accepted, but that period passed and now we're in a place where he's going around diagnosing people with ADHD. <laughs> he's like, that school mom, she definitely has ADHD. <laughs> I'm like, okay. But yes, yeah, bear bearing in mind that school mom looks really nice and gentle and really, you know, good person. So I'm glad that there is a turnaround as well in terms of how he notices that anyone you know can have it there's five to ten percent of the world's population has ADHD and even more if you count the people who are undiagnosed and and what about your family back home um back home mental health is still quite a stigma and no one really knows about neurodiversity 
So as you can imagine, like growing up in an Asian country, um, we don't really talk about our brain. We don't really <laughs> talk about our struggles because if you have to struggle, just suck it up and you know get over it, right? Because your family is more important than you. So, um, and yeah, unfortunately, I, I I grew up with a with with quite quite a turbulent household. Um, I was one of five children and the oldest uh, girl in the family and in an Asian family, the eldest girl has to do all the chores and do all the work. And I remember at the age of 11 and 12, I was asked to do cooking for the whole family and true ADHD style, I accidentally poisoned everyone because I didn't wait for the cooking to be done thoroughly. So <laughs> the chicken was undercooked and everyone got food poisoning. But, you know, that that that, that will teach my parents. <laughs> <laughs> It's a long, long time now. Everyone's still alive, but yeah, um, there, there was a lot of um, yeah trouble with the child childhoods. And my family actually accepted um, my my diagnosis, but not actually talk about it, as we we don't actually see each other after COVID. Um, no one's traveled, but my mom has realized she has got some ADHD traits, and she definitely pointed to my dad, you know, because of his own serial business starting, and he was a serial entrepreneur himself. So, um, no, it's definitely there. Mm. But yeah, they're, they're both almost 70 and my dad is 72. And, and so to them, there is no point getting any labels or diagnosis. So, Yeah, my father's 80 and I, I haven't seen him since the beginning of the pandemic either. And haven't really talked about ADHD with him. I'm sure I, I know I got it from him, but <laughs> it's just a conversation. I think it's difficult to want to even go there sometimes because of the misconceptions. And I'm like, mm -hmm. I don't have the time or the energy to sit you down and go over, you know, I think as a parent, he would be much more, he would be much more defensive. Like you didn't struggle. What are you talking about? Your life was fine. Um, and I think I had that same kind of feeling with my two older brothers who were very, you know, a very academic, um, Ivy League schools, very success, both are very successful. And I, you know, sort of always felt like they thought of me as the like misfit younger sister who was always chasing dreams and doing this and never am amounting to anything. And so there was this part of me that kind of is reluctant to talk about it with them because I feel like there is that inherent judgment of like, oh, you're just finding an excuse, right? You're, you, This is just your excuse for mm -hmm. why you are lazy or why you're scatterbrained or why you can't do the thing. And I see so much of my own internalized stigma in terms of that, you know, you, the, that fear of using ADHD mm -hmm. as an excuse, as opposed to it being this like miraculous explanation. And I always complain on my podcast when I do talk about being diagnosed and, and somebody's reaction is like, oh, I'm so sorry, as though it's like this terrible disease I have that I was diagnosed with. But I'm like, no, this is revelatory. Like, you don't understand how amazing this has been. Um, but That's yeah, amazing. yeah. So, so how old is your oldest daughter? Uh, she's seven now. Okay, right. She was six. So that's an early. She... That's an early diagnosis. That's you. That's must be yeah. incredibly helpful to have to sort of be advocating at this age and kind of see the writing on the wall already. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It it is absolutely you know, Katie. Um, and and I think you would agree because you have children in education too, right? And do they have ADHD? I think mm. they both do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but um, yeah, so you you would know that being in the education, the school system is very challenging for people with ADHD. And um, my daughter was struggling 
for a long time, even before I knew it. And her struggle was around anxiety and being told off because it would sort of ignite the rejection sensitivity, dysphoria that um, even young children seems to get, <laughs> you know. Um, yeah, so her, her, her problem was actually making her not want to go to school and she wants to stay home with us because she loves us best. And so, yeah, I had to get help because um, the teachers were saying, you know, we're, we're, we're calling her out. You know, imagine being singled out in a class of 30 and just told like, can you please, please be quiet, you know, and not in a nice way. And that definitely contributed to her self-esteem. And since I knew she had ADHD, I started advocating for her before her diagnosis. But no one took me seriously. I kept going and going and kept sending emails after emails. And it wasn't until she had a full-blown meltdown that they were actually listening to me. And um, yeah, because I was writing so many things, you know, these sort of things that you should look out for. But no one was really listening. So eventually when she got her diagnosis, they are listening, but it doesn't mean that they're doing anything. Mm -hmm. You know, the only free pass, sort of like an easy pass that my, 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 my daughter gets now is she doesn't get told off in front of the class because I said that, you know, any sort of punishment would compound any anxiety and self-esteem. Mm -hmm. They don't know the severity of it because, you know, the more like children get embarrassed and told off in public, the more it impacts their self-esteem. And it's like a spiral, you know, like it goes into the spiral, like people hate me, I'm not good enough. And yeah, so we're trying to protect that right now. And, and she's still young, so we didn't want to start her on medication yet. But we are wondering what the next step is because it is at this age where she's getting more and more emotional dysregulation. Mm -hmm. And I feel really sorry for her in that place. But at the same time, I'm triggered, you know, as you can imagine. Like, even though you understand ADHD doesn't make you, you know, like any easier to deal with someone who has it. And, and so yeah, there's a lot of, yeah, there's constant management in, in, on, on our side. Mm -hmm. yeah. And really seeing how pub the public school system is failing these children and feeling so helpless right. uh, a lot of the time. Yeah, um, it is. It can be you said it perfectly. It can be frustrating just advocating, you know, on a full time mm -hmm. basis for these children. And I think mm -hmm. about but at the same time, yeah, thinking about my own childhood, like, what you know, when I, I I've talked about this on my podcast before, where like I was left handed. And my, my kindergarten teacher forced me to become right-handed. I don't oh, know if dear. that happened. <laughs> and, you know, and I also look back and I was like, why did my parents allow that to happen? Like it was, you know, it was in like the late seventies, early eighties. So it wasn't like that draconian. Um, why, why did I have a teacher who did this? And why did my parents always laugh about this? Because uh, it must've been so jarring to a child to have to switch to this right hand. And then not only was I switched to right-handed, but then the teachers would complain about my poor handwriting and I, how, you know, uh, and right. And I think about like how demoralizing this experience is for the young children, right? Like I was told 
at a very young age, I was, I went back and looked at my report cards after my uh, diagnosis. And it was so emotional because I think like when I was really young, I was told that I was enthusiastic and a leader and all of these things. And, but her handwriting is terrible and she needs to work on that. And she's too just easily distracted when she's in a group and she talks too much. And it was just like all of this, you know, nitpicking um, that just like you could see over the years, it would just build up and build up. And I would get separated from the group of, you know, we'd be in these like pods of desks and my desk would always get separated and uh, I'd have to sit by myself. And I, so like, I think about all of these like microaggressions throughout the years that just really are so, you know, demoralizing, um, in terms of like our strengths Mm -hmm. are, are thought of as weaknesses and thought of as faults in so many aspects of public education. Mm-hmm. And then, and then, you know, to watch me in middle school, just kind of give up. And then, and I had that same experience that a lot of people did, which was if there was a, a topic I was really interested in, I got an A plus. If there was anything else, it was usually a D <laughs> and I graduated by the skin of my teeth. Um, so it, but it was, it's very emotional to think back. And also, like you said, like how much of it is the executive dysfunction, uh, dysfunction, how much of it is executive dysfunction that can be treated with medication and how much of it is just the emotional ramifications of the way we are treated and the way we are misunderstood. And then what do you do with all of that? <laughs> and is that how avoidable is that? Is it not? I mean, it, you know, part of me feels like in my own life, I experience it to such a degree as well as it being internalized. But then as a mother to turn toward your child and be like, I want to protect you from all of this and I'm not able to. And um, yeah, it's, it is very emotional. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and that's why, you know, I think that we should always look at the strengths, you know, of your children and start to nurture it really young. Cause um, I recently spoke to a, um, a therapist who, specialize in helping child and teens with ADHD and she said that you know with every child you just need to look at the internal world of them and really find out individually what makes them tick you know because each person is different right and really just find out what they love doing and you know as ADHD is we are motivated by an interest-based nervous system um, we tend to want to do things that are interesting, you know, challenging, novel, urgent, and that, that we are passionate about. So if we can look at the internal world, you know, of what the child is really good at and just harness that and, um, you know, their future is potentially limitless. But the problem with the school system, especially the public school system right now, is they don't have time for that. You know, in order to get that kind of help, you almost need to go to a specialist school Mm -hmm. and a specialist school that actually, you know, give you all the help you need in order to do what you need. You know, like I've spoken to so many um, really successful young girls who, you know, they said that, you know, what helped them is actually being in a system that actually appreciates their neurodivergence and helps support and, you know, not make it into a, like like a weakness you know not making it into a crutch like actually you just nurture that you know and so like with, with, with that then then they can grow because we're in school now children are learning everything but you know as we get older we don't actually need to know everything we don't work in tended industries although in my part I have <laughs> I don't, you know but we don't actually need to specialize in so many wide industries so if we start very early on you know and I and you, as you know ADHD has more than one interest if we can just focus on those interests mm-hmm. And, you know, then their future can be bright. 
And um, and, and I know children who are medicated from a young age, you know, some of them, you know, don't actually like being medicated. But then for, for those who have the right treatment and the right support, then, you know, then, then, then these children will grow up to be quite successful adults and be able to manage their internal lives as well. But it's, it's like an all round holistic approach. It's not just from one side, is it? Absolutely. Yeah. I, I've gone on many a rant about the emphasis on consistency with children, and how, you know, this deal of this idea of like, well, you do so well in X, Y, Z, but why can't you, you know, why are you doing so poorly in geography? Let's focus on that. And you're like, it's cause it's boring. I don't know. Like, you know, like why do we always have to focus on the one thing that we're not doing well? Yeah. Because people want you to be an all rounder, don't they? They always want right? to fix why? you. <laughs> <laughs> no need to fix. I'm good, good as I am. Exactly, right? I'd like to take a moment to thank BetterHelp for sponsoring this podcast. If you're a regular listener of this podcast, you know I am a big proponent of therapy. Therapy provides me the best opportunity for verbal processing, something that is so important for my kind of brain and my sense of self. What I love about BetterHelp is that it's not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It is professional therapy that's done securely online from the comfort of your home. They assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. And it's available for clients worldwide. So you get access to a broad range of expertise that might not be available to you locally. It also tends to be more affordable than traditional offline therapy and financial aid is available. If you visit their website and read their testimonials, there are actually quite a few reviews that specifically reference Help with ADHD. As a special offer for listeners of the Women and ADHD podcast, you'll get 10% off your first month. Simply sign up at betterhelp.com slash women ADHD. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash women ADHD. And there's a link in the show notes. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. When I was diagnosed with ADHD, it completely turned my world upside down. I looked back at so much of my life, my grades in school, my multiple careers and hobbies, my friendships, my marriage, motherhood, my relationship with food and my body, like all of this with a new lens and it was overwhelming to say the least. If you've been diagnosed with ADHD and you're feeling blown away by this new insight into your brain and how it operates, I totally understand. I can help you begin to sort through this chaos, explore who you are and how your brain operates so you can finally start to lean into your strengths and begin to use them to your advantage moving forward. Together, we can work to identify what obstacles you've been facing and create strategies to help you start living a more fulfilling, gratifying life. Head over to womeninadhd.com coaching to book a 30-minute initial consult with me so we can figure out if my brand of one-on-one coaching is right for you. Again, that's womenandadhd.com slash coaching, and you can find that link in the episode show notes. Uh, Okay, so then what prompted ADHD girls and uh, your sort of transitioning to the mentoring and consultation work? I mean, obviously from our conversation, I I know the answer, but I want to hear from you. (laughs) Like, how did you you get started in, in shifting there? Yeah, actually, um, I'm also still going with the mentoring and consultation. And actually, the mentoring consultation I began with was around communicating people's value. So um, people with ADHD tend to find it difficult to find their real advantage, you know, their, their, their value, because we do so many things and we're good at quite a lot of things, but we don't actually stop to think, what is it that I can do, you know, in this day and age, you know, as a career, 
right? And my background as communications came in handy for that because I could think of a million ways for you to bring your talent out into the world and get you noticed. So that, that that's what my, my, my program was about. And ADHD Girls was born really because I realized that I wasn't just doing this part-time, wasn't doing this some of the time, I was doing this full-time, right? <laughs> And yeah, it was, it was, it was full time. So I might as well, you know, make it into an organization. So it took me a long time to get there because I analysis paralysis, but eventually when I did, I realized I wanted to do it in a not for profit model. So how, how I work now is I want to work with the corporates, academia and other nonprofits, other organizations, you know, to empower girls and women with ADHD through advocacy, uh, education and specialist insights. And the model of support is that the funds we generate from working with these partners will go back into supporting, you know, the videos we make um, to interview ADHD specialists and also hopefully um, to create some workshops in the future, you know, that are free or subsidized. So that's that, that, that's my thinking for now. That's amazing. I know it, it, like I said, it, it's so wonderful to watch the trajectory of these full-time hobbies that, <laughs> that <laughs> businesses. That's and, right. But it, I think, you know, there is so much more information that needs to be out there for women and girls, especially as mm-hmm. they, like it, it boggles my mind because I have been so immersed in ADHD since my diagnosis, I sort of forget. It seems to me like, oh, everybody's finding out about this. This is so wonderful. There's been this proliferation of diagnoses. And then I'll put something out there on like TikTok and somebody will say, I had no idea or, you know, or um, these, you know, there's, I see them starting to really kind of put the pieces together in their own life for the first time. And it's just, I feel like, you know, those are those moments that are so rewarding where I think like, if I could save one person, what, if I could save one woman from feeling like she's just depressed or just a bad mom or all of these things Mm -hmm. that I kind of placed on myself before this incredible revelatory diagnosis that it will have all been worth it. Um, that there are still so many women out there, I think who have no idea Mm-hmm. that this is a that this can all be kind of wrapped up in in a neat explanation of their neurodivergence and then you can completely shift your narrative right you shift how you think of yourself and and how you present yourself like it's just it i feel like a phoenix a lot of the time you know where it's just <laughs> it took an emotional meltdown it took the pandemic to really kind of have all the cards you know thrown up in the air and and now it's just been i think can be it, so empowering to kind of think of yourself in that in that term yeah Katie I like like you know what 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 you said about you know wanting to advocate for you know ADHD in women and you know wanting to do something to help people you know that's something most ADHDers have in common like we're all like driven to do something like with um like this social justice in mind and we want to be a part of the change because mainly because we receive so much trouble, you know, since a young age, we want to help people not get into the same place that we were at. And we are kind, you know, we, we know the, the, yeah, the, the trials and tribulations that, that, that people go through. Absolutely. Right. And so much self-doubt and, and confusion, mm. right. Feeling like I know I'm bright, but, or, you know, I'm no, you know, yeah. like I think we had, yeah, we, that, that sense that, if only I had known, if only I had known in, as a child, how my life would be different. There is so much of that underlying grief and questioning and, um, and exactly. 
But like I said, I'm so grateful for the grit because I think that is something that is also very, you know, a large part of our stories too, which is that sense of like, okay, now I have these answers. What do I do? How do I, how do I move forward? You know, I love that idea of like, um, Mm. while I often kind of rant against this idea that ADHD is a superpower because not everybody's there. Mm. And I feel like that can be kind of toxically positive. Mm. And in some ways Mm. I do feel like there is this, I really appreciate the strength-based approach to like, okay, what, like, I'm actually a wonderful, incredible human. And, and what can I do now? And, and how can I live my life from a place yeah. of empowerment? Well, exactly. Yeah, I posted something today on Instagram about being twice exceptional, right? Because um, you might be familiar with, with this term, mm-hmm. where you are exceptional in the way that you're great, you know, you have this amazing um, human capital, but you also have some disability, that, you know, is stopping you from fulfilling your potential. And like you say, the self-doubt and the pernicious um, imposter syndrome, perfectionism, you know, that most of us go through, you know, it actually stops us from fulfilling potential. And so we need to reach out to people who can help us, you know, who, who can actually be a mirror of the good stuff in ourselves because we all, all too often tell ourselves the bad things, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah, it was always a joke in my household that I had the highest IQ of any of my siblings because I had gotten into the gifted program. And so I was in the gifted program and yeah, I kept waiting for them to kick me out because I was always such a problem, quote unquote. And and I was terrified, you know, because I never understood why I was in this program because all I was ever told was that I wasn't working hard enough. I kept waiting to get thrown out and never was. And, um, and always sort of had this feeling like, okay, well, what is this? You know, and my mother would be like, you're such a mystery. I don't understand. It, you had this high IQ. And I've been terrified to take an IQ test my entire life after that because I felt like that was the one thing I had going for me <laughs> was this <laughs> IQ test I took as a child. And so I would like refuse to take one now as an adult because I'm, you know, I'm worried that that was a lie as well. Um, so one thing I love to ask all of my guests is if you could, if you could <laughs> call ADHD something else, what would you call it? Because I feel like it's so misleading right. and pathologized and problematic. Yeah. And um, I, lo- <laughs> I have no answers because I, you know, I, I have no idea what I would call it, but I always love to see, <laughs> see what somebody else might come up with. Yeah, it's, it's interesting because I looked at that and I thought of a lot of things, but um, actually, I, I don't know if you have this issue, Katie, but um especially if you're really intelligent and you have high IQ, but I come across the words of Alan Littman and Kathleen Nadal, Patricia Quinn, in the book, Understanding Girls with ADHD, is that women who have high emotion, high intelligence tend to have more emotional dysregulation. So uh, for me, if I were to rename ADHD, I would be like, come back in 15 minutes, you know, or give me a break syndrome, you know, because if I have an emotional outburst, it would normally just last that time, you know, and that's because of my amygdala hijack, my emotional flooding, where I won't be able to explain to you why I am the way I am. But if you come back in 15 minutes, I'll be a completely different person. Absolutely. Right. right? It's funny because I, you know, my daughter and I are both like that. We kind of crash into each other in these, in these rates. She's 14. So she's, you know, in high school, we have, we're both full of hormones right now. And so, Mm -hmm. 
we crash into each other with this like intense rage. But we also know that if we kind of go back to our corners of the ring, we will both sort of settle down and and that'll be fine and we can move on. And it drives my husband crazy because he's all about like resolution and working it out and, you know, and <laughs> and he feels like it's irresponsible to just kind of like shout at somebody and then and then not deal with it, you know, or to, you know, to not take offense to it or anything. And I'm like, we get it. We understand. It's our love language. <laughs> Yeah, and very important to give us space as well when when we're there, you know. Otherwise, it, it, you just get the worst of us, right? Yeah. So, like, space is important. I keep coming back to the pendulum analogy too, because I felt like my life was so much of a pendulum. I thought before my diagnosis, I had bipolar because I just, you know, would have that manic energy and that manic mm-hmm. interest in things, and then it, it would swing to the other end of, of that lethargy and 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 feeling sta- mm-hmm. you know, feeling depressed and and paralyzed. Mm-hmm. And so that, like, I just always come back to that swinging of the pendulum, you know, that dysregulation. And mm-hmm. Now I'm picturing Miley Cyrus on a wrecking ball. <laughs> Uh, right it's such an emotional roller coaster so so how can people find you and and work with you do you work with do you work internationally with clients yeah 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 I do actually um I I I provide um consultations and mentoring uh for ADHD uh they can find me in all the places that you look on social media (laughs) because um I am on everyone although I do I, I think I'm more, probably more consistent on LinkedIn and Instagram at the moment. So, uh, yeah, I work with individuals uh, with ADHD, with mentoring and uh, consultation, because recently I've helped people who want to design apps for women with ADHD. Um, I help a master's student who want to create um, the outline of uh, the, the skeletal structure of her research and also I help women who are seeking diagnosis uh, for their children and yeah, various other people. Um, there is a certain pro bono element in what I do, but also like to support like ADHD girls, you know, I, I actually do, do need to charge for, for my time as well. So I have half an hour and 60 minutes uh, consultation. Um, and then for corporates and academia, I'm actually very actively uh, seeking partners right now uh, via my LinkedIn live series, ADHD in the Workplace. So if uh, you have a spare minute, you can log in and support. And um, and if you have, um, uh, like, if you're a part of an organization, you know, who wants to make your systems more ADHD friendly, do do get in touch as well, because I team up with a group of ADHD professionals, uh, coaches, mentors, uh, occupational psychologists, and ADHD workplace design specialists in order to create a more neuro-inclusive workplace and uh, study environment. That's amazing. I just realized I didn't get to ask you about your the um, autism journey as well, because I sort of feel like it, it, when we talk about ADHD, Mm-hmm. And that and that diagnosis, I think, you know, one thing I, that I, I came to my neurodivergence through an ADHD diagnosis, but I do sort of view uh, this large spectrum of neurodivergency mm-hmm. and, and kind of this 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 neurotype that we have. And mm-hmm. so it is fascinating to me to see all of that overlap. I'll have to have you back for another. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I mean, that's really interesting because I, I don't know if you have any co-occurring condition. Can, uh, do, you, do you have any? Absolutely. I mean, I feel like the more I fall down these rabbit holes where I'm like, yeah, I really need to look into this. <laughs> yeah. 
I mean, so so I, I've been told by my ADHD coach that once you get medicated for your ADHD, the other things become more obvious. <laughs> so for me, the tidying and uh, going around the house, looking whether things are in order has become so like so much more pronounced. Well, I remember telling somebody the story about how I used to have all of my books alphabetized by author in my bookshelf and I would move and I loved moving because it was an opportunity to reorganize things, you know? And so I would have like, it was an opportunity when I would take things out of the boxes to, I would have like my OCD would be in full effect, right? I would have everything color coordinated and I loved it. And then when I moved in with my husband, now husband, he took all of our books and just shoved them into the shelf and he didn't care if they were upright or, you know, which direction they were facing. And, and then they were in no order whatsoever. And I just was like horrified. <laughs> and then I thought, well, now I can never, I can never organize ever again. You know, like I was like, that's your domain. I will never look at that ever again. Like I, <laughs> it's all or, and that all or nothing. Um, it's very, yeah, it's very fascinating to kind of look at some of those overlaps. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, yeah, you know, I think uh, one thing you didn't mention was your YouTube videos, because that's kind of how I oh, came yeah. to you. And I want to make sure I will put a link to your, well, I, you. I'll put a link to your LinkedIn or your website, because I think that kind of sends you in all sorts of directions. Um, yeah. Or not LinkedIn, Linktree. Uh, but you're, I love, you know, you're having some incredible conversations with Sari Solden and Ned Hallowell and some of the really mm. like pioneers um, mm. in in this field. So I really just so appreciate the conversation conversations you're having and the advocacy you're doing yeah it, it, it's amazing actually even for me to actually have this one-on-one with them because after these interviews I have this you know like personal time to chat to them <laughs> it's, it's amazing I'm getting this all for free <laughs> I know right it, it's really cool yeah it's really cool and uh yeah I, I don't talk about my YouTube video enough because uh, I see more and more people that I approach for sponsorship sees me as an influencer but Mm -hmm. I don't really work on that uh, capacity you know my background is in communications and I talk to doctors and scientists about the great work that they do so so that's that's where I want to come from you know as someone who is disseminating very important messages and you know helping other people at the same time so that that, Mm -hmm. that's where I'm at so Yes, yeah, so ADHD Girls YouTube channel, it's uh, on my LinkedIn bio, actually. So if yeah. you follow ADHD underscore girls on Instagram, uh, you'll, you'll find it. It's great. And I think, you know, for me, I realize now in retrospect when I, the, the, why I started the podcast was because so much of our learning about ADHD comes through hearing about lived experiences in other yeah. women, right? And and seeing ourselves in those stories. It's not from reading the DSM. It's not from, you know, reading, you know, long, boring reports mm-hmm. on all of the various symptoms. And mm-hmm. it's really about knowing that we're not alone and knowing that we're not crazy <laughs> and knowing mm-hmm. that there is a name to this, you know? And so by having these conversations, I feel like I'm getting my PhD in ADHD because yeah. I'm learning so much from yeah. everybody else about what this looks like. And it's so funny to me because I'm like, I, you know, my, my academic career was so abysmal, but here I like, th- I'm realizing this is how I learn. And, and yeah. so I think, yeah, you're completely right. I think you're learning by doing and because it's fun, right? (laughs) It's much more fun to go out there and talk to people than to open a book, a textbook, and read about it, right? And and I I completely And then we read the same paragraph over and over and over again. That's right. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. You know, that, that's really cool. Yes. Thanks for having me, Katie. It's yes, so nice thank, talking to you. Thank you so much. I was so, um, so pleased to have this conversation and, and get to know you a little bit better. So thank you for everything that you were doing and being such an ADHD badass out there in the UK. <laughs> thank you. And there you have it. Thank you for listening. And I really hope you enjoyed this episode of the Women and ADHD podcast. Also, you know, we ADHDers crave feedback and I would really appreciate hearing from you, the listener. If you're a fan of the podcast, please take a moment to leave me a review on Apple Podcasts or Audible. And if that feels like too much and I get it, then just take a few seconds right now to give me a five-star rating. Or share this episode on your own social media to help reach more women who maybe have yet to discover and lean into this gift of neurodivergency. And they may still be struggling and don't even know why. And if you'd like to find out more about me and my one-on-one coaching for women with ADHD, head over to womenandadhd.com coaching. And you can always find that link in the show notes. I'll see you next week when I interview another amazing woman who discovered that she is not lazy or crazy or broken, but she has ADHD and she is now on the path to understanding her neurodiversity and finally using this gift to her advantage. Take care till then.